You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country. Hi, this is Annie for Showreel, looking at Australian films and their makers. Today we're going to dust off a recent interview with Molly Reynolds in honour of the passing of the great First Nations actor David Deleuze. My name is David Gilpilly, is the last film from the legendary David Gilpilly. He worked with three of his long-time collaborators to create this goodbye letter to us and I spoke to one of them, Molly Reynolds, about the film released earlier this year. Now, I know that this is uh, an unusual film because it's like a, a, a going away letter, isn't it? A, a, a departure letter from David Gilpil. When did it start? Yeah. When did he decide to have this film made? Well, look, I'd just, um, just to say, I think you... you um... You sum it up beautifully, you know, it's his farewell gift, um, you know, to to his audience who have known him, you know, ever since Walkabout. Um, and it started four years ago, um, oh, just just over four years ago, when David was was diagnosed with his um, with his uh, stage four widespread lung cancer, and he was jelly bean keen to work and so we discussed the prospect of the final documentary that would encompass you know his entire body of work or the legacy of his work and his and his life um, and originally we were going to end it as David you know was keen for it to be with his death ceremonies on country but um, David is remarkable in you know he's never led life in a conventional fashion at all and so um, four and a half well just over four years later he's still going and um, and we decided that we would finish the doco with him on stage instead <laughs> yeah that's exactly right um, he's a he's a really flash dresser isn't he oh absolutely and you're not the first to make that observation and um, the, he he really does care about his appearance and always has. I've travelled with him, and you should you know I've seen his packed suitcases, and all the shirts are beautifully packed and ironed and sort of you know layered. I think in you know and sort of order order of of wearing. Um, yeah, and he loves the suit. Absolutely loves the suit. Now it's a hard thing to make a film like this, and I notice that there's certain conventions in the film. That's, uh, uh, I mean, obviously it's a, a collaboration between the subject and the filmmakers. So can you tell us about that process? 
Uh-huh. Um, yes, this, this sort of film couldn't be anything else but. Um, David is credited as one of the producers to, um, you know, just to sort of consolidate his, I suppose, his authority over, over the docu documentary. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm you know, a documentary maker and I work with, with talent um, that, you know, rather than direct talent. And it was really interesting um, working with David because he is very much the performer and very much the actor and he takes direction from his director. And so the way in which we would collaborate, you know, happened on several levels. And, for, you know, for my part, I kept kind of track of the critical information, the information that I needed to elicit from David um, to, you know, to hold the documentary together. And so um, we, David and I, would, would work our way through that list. Um, depending on on his his mood, depending on what he felt like talking about, and then um, David would also bring in his his own elements into into the film, where there was stuff he would raise that he would you know he wanted to talk about imagery that he wished to capture, and we kept him across all the various cuts as they evolved. And we didn't lock off the picture cut until we had absolute approval from David. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you say it took four years to shoot, but um, obviously you weren't shooting all the time. You must have decided how you were going to go about uh, collecting the information. Yes, because we had we had allocated um, thirty shooting days, and we ended up with sixty seven of them. So we we pretty well kind of um, filled our our shooting quota very very quickly because at the time this was all about expediency. And then we began the the, the you know editing the footage and crafting the documentary because we we wanted to be ready to go for when the time came. But, you know, sort of 2017 rolled into 2018 and, um, and David was doing well enough. So I relocated back from um, Adelaide to Tasmania where my primary base was and then would travel over quite regularly to shoot with David because... You know, he it was important to him, and you know, um, he was he, he rang regularly to say, Molly, Molly, my girl, when are we shooting? When are we working? And so that was one of the reasons why we clocked up so many so many shoot days was you know because David needed that, and um, and the documentary could only but benefit from it. So. He's got a remarkable um, appreciation of uh, uh, film and its purpose. And it's interesting because mm -hmm. um, the idea of, uh, our, um, as he says, he's a, um, an initiated man. He's a, a man of country. Uh, but he's a, he has a uh, technological appreciation uh it, like it's it's like the future and the past together hand in hand oh yes yes um david definitely understands cinema mise-en-scene camera 
how how it all works. Um, and interestingly enough, um, there are four producers on this project. There's Rolf here, David Gopalil, myself, and, and Peter Jigger. And Peter Jigger is a young old man and um, has collaborated with us on all our projects um, when we when we work up up in northeast Arnhem Land. And interestingly enough, Peter Jigger has a has a, a very intuitive sense of what cinema is, of how film works, how, you know, what you can kind of hand over to to make a, you know, a scene magic. Yet yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting that there's, you know, that um, there's that capacity. Peter Jigger, when he first started working in film, hadn't seen a, a feature film before, yeah. yet he knew... He knew what worked on the screen. David, of course, has had, you know, 40 years of training. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me because I've spoken to people who, uh, um, First Nations people, who have quite specifically understood the uh, power of um, film to get as a cultural communication and also how they find people who will actually work to get their message across. And a lot of the films that uh, um, David was in have actually been collaborations with uh, you and Rolf Dahir, for example. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. Rolf Dahir is certainly his primary collaborator. Um, they have made three three magnificent films together, um, you know, being the, the, the Tracker, Ten Canoes, Charlie's, Charlie's Country, um, yes, David, and and you know, and David's contribution to Walkabout. Now that you know, I don't, I don't, and walk, you know, Stormboy. I don't think Stormboy would have the emotional resonance it has without David's presence and performance in the film. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right because there's something incredible about David Gilpool on on camera. He, I mean, and when he says that thing that, you know, normally you'd think was just being, you know, uh, be, skiting, that I am the best dancer. I mean, I actually think he's completely correct. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, and there's something really refreshing about that bold declaration and that 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 claim um, to saying I'm the best dancer, and 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 then I I love that little little qualification that comes with it, which is when he says I'm the I'm the greatest dancer there is, just for me, um, and you know to sort of you know to sort of say well I you know I really don't care what anyone else thinks I um I know I know I'm the best. Yeah, no, it's it's quite extraordinary, which is actually probably one of the reasons for why the camera just loves him. I mean, I can remember seeing um, uh, that uh, original film, um, uh, Walkabout, when I was young and absolutely blown away by it. I just thought it was yes, amazing. Yes. Because I think not only was, you know, um, the, the thing about David is not not only was he an Indigenous person on on screen, but he was an actor. You know, he 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 had he had a, a, a performance, a gravitas, um, and that you know that is in part what makes him so exceptional. 
Well, the uh, archival footage is really interesting as well. Him as a young man with his friend going around the world. That was really extraordinary, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Um, with Richard Bunyola. Yes. Um, they, um, they, yeah, and David, you know, being literally sort of, you know, young and wide-eyed. Um, because his experience, even though he was casting walkabout, it was largely shot in the desert. So his experience was very much of bush and land. And then um, he gets to travel the world. And as he says, um, in his, in his, you know, sort of very young away, and my spear went too, you know, as if to say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to travel without my spear because I might just need it. You are listening to Showreel and we are revisiting a chat I had with Molly Reynolds about the film My My Name is David Gilpilly. We are marking the passing of a great First Nations man. Well, you know that uh, footage where he obviously had, I mean, uh, uh, the story, his story, um, uh, I mean, Westerners have a particular view about things, and you and when you're in the belly of the beast, you don't observe, you don't really understand that actually it's not the only way of seeing things. Now, um, uh, there's several interviews I've done with people who uh, the one about the Namajira story, the getting the um, uh, with Big Art. And they went to Hermansburg to talk to Namajira's family to see if it would be okay to tell his story, right? And they had to get permission to be able to tell his story, right? And uh, also, um, a- a- and also the uh, film that was about um, Yanopingu, uh, about him travelling overseas, and how obsessed the uh, the um, organisers of the events were about fame and fortune while he actually didn't care it was about communicating his culture that was his job he he had a job and that's what he was doing and when he was and there's a sequence in that film where he's talking sting comes backstage in paris to see him he doesn't even know who sting is it's quite hilarious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the point is that, in a way, uh, this film too, uh, so David obviously had a uh, one-person show telling his life story previously, right? There's sequences in this film. Yep. It's just, they were hilarious. So he obviously always is completely involved in, in his own life story, like he owns his story. Yes, yes, he does. He does, um, and it's it, you know I'm 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 here speaking about you know David's David's fi- final final gift you know his final work um, because he's he's too he's too unwell to do so. But David um, is also at the same time is not so easy with the notion of being being interviewed by journalists. Or you know by media because he says they take they take my story and I'm not I'm not paid for it and he and it he, he really really kind of finds that there's something profoundly wrong in that you know we we white fellas you know um, that sort of publicity sits in the realm you know we 
we, we, we like to talk about the things that we do, but from David's perspective, it's something that very, very much belongs to him. And, you know, and he, he does, you know, he's, he's lost the inclination to give it away for nothing. Yeah, well, that makes complete sense. But I'll, I'll say that uh, it, it is a great uh, joy to be and gift to be uh, honoured with this film. I'd say. Yep, yep. I think I think. Well, I know David is David is very very happy, you know, with it. I think he's, you know, he's like, yep, you know, his 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 final work is is one of his best. Yeah, it's got a lovely quote at the end as well. Um, there, that is me. It's fantastic. It did remind yes. it did yes. remind me a little bit of the last film that Harry Dean Stanton made as well. Have you seen that by any chance? No, no. What what is that film? It, I can't remember what it's called, but you can just look up uh, Harry Dean Stanton and you'll see his last film. And it's also a goodbye. He's made a goodbye film. I'm saying goodbye to you. It's okay. a, yeah, it's a lovely film, and it, and yeah. it and it's a very similar, in in um, he has a similar kind of, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, singularity, a person who is themselves. Okay. Mm. Yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. Indeed, you know, as David says in the documentary, you know, um, I'm not, you know. Um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not sad, but I'm sorry. Um, and it is, you know, um, he, you know, he's, 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 he's reckoning with his mortality and he, he, he does it in a very, very profound way. I was very interested in the way, uh, the footage with his, uh, sisters who came to visit him. Um, they were very, uh, um, loving to his carer, uh, Mary. Uh, the body language is so um, there, there's a whole cultural thing going on there, isn't there? Uh, her as his care. Oh yes, 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 absolutely. I think there's there's respect and regard for what she's undertaken, and yes, there's a lot of a non-verbal communication going going on there um and the the sisters had very much um in the in the hospital had sort of taken their quiet place until it was was the time to you know to speak to to the business that they that they had come for and also his uh, friend when they were sitting around the fire he said oh, have you spoken to you have you spoken to the ancestors I thought that was really fascinating as well. Yes, yes, it, um, and that—that's Peter Jigger, one of the producers of the film, and David's kin son. And I think that was well. I know, well, you know, I think, you know, that that was that was Peter's way of gauging how David was going to deal with this. You know, where 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 he sat with, you know. With, with his own reckoning. And, you know, the other thing is that he hadn't come to the end yet. He was, was there any worry that they wouldn't be able to actually do proper ceremony? Because that thing about turning into a little fish, I love that. So you have, uh, yes. you have to go back yep. to country and you have to do all the various performance. Uh, that's the other thing, of course, that performance, you perform life and you perform death. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, yeah the that that was um, you know in for many reasons. I really I was relieved that the documentary didn't find its ending there, mainly because David is is alive and still with us, and you know, and that is is such an incredible bonus. The other thing is, I kind of one can't be too sure how that could go, um, and you know, it it could sort of be so wildly unpredictable. And in many ways, and this is this is showing my cultural bias. I sort of feel that it would be a private occasion. Yet for David, it is something quite different. And as you know, as he says, you know. Oh, um, make it a make it a small ceremony, five to seven days, you know, <laughs> until you feel satisfied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very witty. He's a real what a card. The business with the um, oh the, yes, lying in the um, the coffin that, with the celluloid all around him. I thought that was hilarious. Yes, and that was you know that was David's vision, and he called me up um, and and you know and sort of had said. I want to be I want to be wrapped in the um in the you know in our film and I was like David we shoot digital and yet I, the image couldn't leave me um and so I organised it and he yeah he giggled with delight when he got into the cemetery box as he calls a coffin um and you know and that that actually happened to be our our very our very last shoot. Um, that that one, and you know, I was sort of pleased that we had executed it because David was so keen on it. Yeah, it was so hilarious. How long did it take to edit? Did you have a lot of hard? I mean, there's a very interesting thing yep. that that business about pictures of David in country, different places, and uh, uh, yes, and outline. It's it's really interesting that. Yes, yes, it is. We allocated twenty weeks to the edit um, and that is that is a long time but I think the nature of this documentary needed it partly because we ended up with 67 um, shooting days and we had such a wealth of archival material and there was not only the archival material from the, the wonderful NFSA, which is the you know which keeps it keeps it preserves it so that we can you know we can return to it time and time again, but it was also the the footage that um, you know we had collected over the years. Rolf with um, with Charlie's country and Ten Canoes, me with another country and still our country, and the Ballander and the Bark Canoes and. Twelve canoes, so there was such a a wealth of material that we could draw upon. Yeah, yeah, it's it, quite fascinating. And uh, Mad Dog Morgan and a whole other uh, other ones that you'd you'd almost forgotten. And the other thing, about, oh yes, his his filmography. Yeah, yeah, and the and the stuff about um, uh, you know when he went travelling, he, he he never met um a demigod. He only met a god, <laughs> like. John Lennon. Or... Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, yes, and I and I noticed that that most of them, most of them, you know, the the people he cites sort of first and foremost, other than the Queen and John Lennon, are uh, you know Muhammad Ali, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley. You know, they're they're all all, all people of black skin, um, yeah. with whom I think, you know, well, with whom he obviously identifies with far more. 
Although he was very impressed with meeting Bruce Lee and he did enjoy his deer steak with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for talking to me. I'm so pleased that you could. Oh, a pleasure, Annie. A pleasure. Thank you. That's it for Showreel this week. Look after yourself. Talk soon.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.